Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Dean St. Martin, and I cannot wait to pick your brain about some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks a million for inviting me, Dan. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, I think the th- first thing that I really want to want to ask is, how did you get into the realm of the of the the, the the sciences behind things. So where did the interest for the the doctorate come from? Um, phew, that's a really good question. Um, I think I've I've said it before. Originally, I did want to uh, I did want to become a medical doctor when I was in my sort of teens, going through like secondary level education. Um, I think the the whole fascination with science probably came if I'm being honest, I've probably never been asked this on a podcast is from my uncle, my, my mom's brother. He was mm-hmm. big into science. He was doing a, a science degree. And when I was growing up, he was sort of my idol. So I think just naturally uh, just followed behind. And, you know, he, he'd often show me science books and chemistry things, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. I think just naturally I gravitate towards science in that regard. So I guess, what ended up happening then was with the going through and doing a chemistry degree, which was based on pharmacology and drug design. That sort of started making me look at how we how we design drugs. Is it the most effective way? Um, it exposed me then to like thinking outside the box with functional medicine. And then I guess as a an artifact of that, I started applying that sort of pharmacology and functional medicine to bodybuilding and getting bodybuilders to start thinking, how can we, how can we address some of the problems in our industry by going straight to the root cause? So I guess, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. This all started probably with my uncle and that fascination of, uh, you know, your idol sort of influence and where you go in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said something really interesting and I want to put, uh, I want to put that on the table and we'll come back to all that shelf, I should say, um, about the industry problems, because I think there's a huge thing and we're seeing it now over the last couple of years with the amount of deaths, the amount of issues. Um, but let's get into the beginnings of bodybuilding for you. Where was that? Where was the the step in the door? I guess uh, I started originally with um, a background in like martial arts and um, soccer and Gaelic football. And then I had quite a bad injury kickboxing during training that sort of led to my right ankle getting smashed. So I I started using the gym more so as a rehab method, but then I started to like fall in love with the whole idea of how your body changes when you're training in the gym, when you're doing like a structured bodybuilding routine. Um, and it sort of just got me hooked. I... I was still kickboxing the whole ankle rehabbed. I, I went to the world championships and won it in 2010. And then after that, I sort of, you, you sort of realize, okay, that's like a box ticked. I've won the world championships. I can, you know, happily move out of kickboxing knowing that, you know, I've got that achievement <laughs> ticked off. And I sort of set my eyes then on um, a bodybuilding show. And this was 2011. And after that first sort of, year of competing i done the bnbf and then i done the irish ifbb nationals and it sort of just it, i was hooked and then i ended up competing like 2011 all the way to 
2017 was the last time I competed. So I'd done like six, six or seven years in a row. <laughs> you get you get really sucked into that like um competitive edge and just the feeling of being on stage. It's it's uh definitely addictive and something that over the last few years, obviously we're having kids, it's always been sort of back of my mind to try and go back bodybuilding, and that's obviously where this year's goal is to get back on a bodybuilding stage after five years. But for anyone who's listening and you're thinking of doing your first show, once you sort of get over the, the edgy feeling of competing for the first time, once you get on stage, most people that you talk to get hooked and it's it's a never ending cycle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I had a very similar, similar journey with the gym. And I think you're right. As soon as you, I think my theory is as most people who go to the gym who don't like the gym, it's genuinely just down to the fact that they haven't seen the fruits of their labor. Because as soon as you do, you just, you can't beat that return on investment because you're just putting the work in, you're getting the results. And then that's addictive because you're like, holy shit, I can genuinely sculpt my body however I want to. And when you start to see muscle gain, the confidence increase, um, you know, all those sorts of side effects from training, it's it's like almost for me and it sounds like yourself as well it was like a whole new world opened and then and then I used to compete as a fitness model years back and then as soon as I got over that kind of I'm going to be on stage basically naked in front of a few hundred people and then judged because I'm wearing basically budgie smugglers (laughs) like you're right as soon as I got on that stage it was just a a feeling that you can't explain to people that haven't been there yeah yeah Um, and I remember the morning of my first ever competition I was I was actually really emotional like I remember um the support from my friends family clients at the time they'd send over like I'd put a post on Facebook that's how long ago this was. Like it was a Facebook post rather than an Instagram one. Um, and I remember just like for, for whatever reason, obviously the fatigue and the fact that I'd accomplished that, you know, 16, 20 weeks, whatever it was of a hundred percent adherence. Yeah. I remember reading these messages and just bawling my eyes out. Like it was the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. And um, then getting on stage and just, yeah, I couldn't, uh, for anyone thinking about competing, I would always say to people, if you're going to, if you want to do it, 100% do it because yeah. it is, you you can't beat that level of achievement, whether you win or not, everyone wants to win. Let's be honest. You can go into it and say, yeah, just do what you can. But once you start putting that graft in and you start trying to tick the boxes every single week for that amount of time, you want that return on investment. Like we said earlier. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I mean, even like what you said there, the, the last time I competed in 2017, I'd done the PCA. And I think there was, this was ridiculous this year. It was like, I think there was 22 people in the class and I came fifth. And I remember coming off stage thinking, geez, like fifth, that was really good going. Like people are like thinking, well, but you didn't win. You're like, well, no, but I still made top six, which is an achievement of itself that you sort of then look to compare the previous years and bodybuilding I guess another good thing that I guess a gem of wisdom for anyone who is thinking of competing for the first time, don't like 
get yourself down post-show if you don't get the placing that you you wanted mm. or even you sort of your second year because i mean i'm this next well this year when i compete it'll be 10 years since i first competed and you know if i took a picture of that first year to now you'd yeah. laugh at, at the complete different physique between the two that you can't get sucked into just that one result every year to define mm. who you are as a competitor it's it's very important that you sort of are able to take criticism first and foremost if you're going to do bodybuilding as a, a hobby or a sport because if you can't take criticism clearly on how to improve mm-hmm. you're never going to move forward and that's why i always sort of laugh when i see on the naivety of some comments of oh i was robbed and this that and the other you know <laughs> if you can't sit back and i mean i'm sort of probably lucky because my dad is an ifbb bodybuilding judge and he can turn around to me and go, you know, when I when I was competing and I was making like top six in the Irish Nationals, he'd like turn around honestly and go, you know, if I came fourth, he'd say, you know, at best you probably were maybe third, but he goes fourth was a, a good result for you. And so you have to sort of go, okay, I accept that the other three guys were better than me. How can I be better for the following year? How can I take that criticism on board to, to move forward and, if you can't if you can't take active criticism on your physique then um you're not really going to enjoy the whole aspect of bodybuilding that's the other i guess the mental aspect to competing in bodybuilding that people underestimate and also as well you know you've got your friends you've got your family loved ones anyone that supports you always telling you in your ear before you get on stage how good you look that you're gonna <laughs> win you're gonna smash it but that's the problem. Like everybody's getting told the same thing. So when they don't necessarily place where they feel like they should, because they've got the filter that that um, rose tinted glass, I believe, is the yeah. is the phrase. And uh, yeah, you know, you can't. You not everyone can win. That's the thing. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, pharmacology. What exactly is that? Because you mentioned that phrase, and I want to make sure that everyone listening knows exactly what that is. So pharmacology, in, I guess, a very basic term, is the the study of how drug compounds interact and work in the body. So basically, pharmacology looks to understand when you take a medicine, first and foremost, where does it work? Where does it interact? And then secondly, how does it move through the body? How does that drug distribute itself throughout the body? Mm-hmm. And how does your body then eliminate that drug when it's no longer needed? So you have the two aspects of pharmacodynamics, which looks at how the drugs work in the body. Mm-hmm. And then you have pharmacokinetics, which looks at the movement of the drug through the body. And so we can, we can take those two sides of pharmacology to anything, even health supplements will have their own pharmacology. Mm-hmm. Um, nutritional supplements would as well. And we're able to then understand, well, where is the target of action? And then how does the compound stay in the body and leave the body? Mm-hmm. So I guess I sort of start to introduce the concept of pharmacology in, in a more accessible way, I guess, towards anabolic steroids and also using pharmacology to explain how certain 
health supplements or nutritional ingredients actually work in the body? What's their, their biochemistry? How do they actually um, implement themselves to generate an effect? And that's sort of where I applied that knowledge to the formulations that I then made for supplement needs, where you're, you're actually using intelligent biochemistry in order to make, I guess, effective supplements that actually do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. How did, because I don't actually know this, so this will be, be interesting to hear from you. How did the step from pharmacologists um, you, in, a, in a medicine sense and competing as a bodybuilder, how did the jump come from that to you becoming the formulator with four supplement needs? Um, so originally all the sort of formulations that have come from supplement needs over the years were, were originally just ingredients that I used personally myself when I was competing. Mm-hmm. And for example, the, the sleep stack, the sleep stack, the six ingredients for the sleep stack were actually chosen by me when I worked as a chemical engineer and I had to work a month of day shifts and a month of night shifts. I remember when I started on shift work, um, I had to figure out how am I going to support my sleep with prepping for the Irish National Bodybuilding Shows. <laughs> and, you know, with a month of night shifts into a month of day shifts, your body was just constantly changing circadian rhythm. So it was... <sighs> I realized from, say, the first month into shift that, that I had to really understand how sleep works. If I'm going to be able to recover properly by sleeping solid through the daytime mm-hmm. to prepare myself for night shift, I need to understand how sleep operates in the body. What's the biochemistry? What's all the, the root cause questions of how you sleep and stay asleep? Mm-hmm. And I started to realize, you know, serotonin was very important for getting you asleep. And then melatonin, your body's own production of melatonin while you're sleeping is important for you to stay asleep. Mm-hmm. So those two aspects, when I started to understand that, I was able to implement the six ingredients of the sleep stack personally, and my sleep was completely changed. I was able to sleep like from 9 a.m. in the morning till 4 p.m. in the evening, or I could sleep from 10 p.m. at night to 5 a.m. in the morning. So it didn't matter whether it was morning or night, I was sleeping the exact same way. And obviously that has a big impact then if you're prepping because you're, you still want to have optimal cognitive function so that when you go to work at nighttime, your brain is haven't had the best sleep. You're sort of, you know, your, your cognitive functions improved. So you're able to do your job properly, but also the physical benefit that you're able to recover and train adequately as well. So addressing that, sleep deficit for me was sort of my first entrance into applying biochemistry that I knew to myself mm-hmm. to improve my own athletic outcome. And then I guess as time went on, um, I became friends with Lee who owns supplement needs. And I seen that he was starting his own supplement range and I just started to present to him formulas that I, you know, formulas of products that I was buying, like say, the CV stack, the hard stack, I was buying 11 different tubs of different ingredients and open each tub every day to take <laughs> one out. And I said to him, something has to exist on the market whereby you just have one tub, mm-hmm. everything's in it. You might have to take out a couple of capsules, but that's it, you're done. Mm-hmm. And that's where 
after I gave him the idea for the sleep stack, we developed liver stack, the CV heart stack, the Astrag flow, which was the kidney and blood pressure stack. We started to figure out, let's create just one product for each sort of health system. And that way, you know, rather than your cupboard being filled with bloody 30 tubs of, you know, people tend to get this sort of a ingredient awe is what I sort of call it, where you read something online about a specific ingredient go, I need to take that. And then Mm. you buy a tub of it. And sooner or later, your cupboard's just filled with just single tubs of single ingredients that I don't know about you, but in the past, I'd be like, even if I had like a pill box, it would take me an hour to fill a month's worth of uh, you know of supplements because i'm taking one out of each tub and then the next tub that oh like, definitely you know heart heart stack cv stack liver stack astrag flow you literally take four four capsules out of liver and astrag flow and six out of heart you, you're done in less than 10 seconds so it's even the convenience of that was sort of one of the, the big buy-ins for creating the range of supplement needs but i guess you know, I've, I've often said a lot of the formulas that we've made with supplement needs were originally made for me, for, mm-hmm. for my own health, that when I started to speak out against some of the problems that are in this industry and how we can sort of correct it, mm-hmm. it just made it made sense to make it more readily available to people. And Lee and supplement needs was the perfect vector in order to, to get that knowledge out. Mm. I had, um, when I was competing back in the day, you know, you're talking 2014-ish uh, to 2016-17. I, um, I exactly the same. It was tubs and tubs, pillboxes and pillboxes. I had a whole kitchen cabinet just like full. <laughs> and I just literally have to unpack it all to like start packing it up and like, Honestly, that was more of a task than the like food prep and training was just going through the tub boxes of of stuff. And then when you realize you're suddenly out of one of the like, you know, the magical ingredients, like you've said, of the the thing that you read online that is the next big thing, or it helps do a micro factor of something which gives you, you know, um yeah when you run out of that then the stress level of, of like trying to whiz around and go get that ingredient again and yeah, I mean the whole industry has changed, and people like you, we have people like yourselves to uh, to thank for that because you know the supplements that we used to have back in the day, everything was isolated. Whereas now we've got formulated with the exact dosage because that was the problem. You could get stuff that was kind of a blend, but then the ingredients weren't necessarily that the the dosage of each ingredient wasn't necessarily optimal for what you were trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, you're touching on like people are now probably more savvy to the supplement industry towards proprietary blends, which are like legally you have to label everything on your your nutrition information. Mm-hmm. Well, you can do sort of like a an into an intellectual property protection in that you could call it like a you know, you'd see it on fat burners, fat burning matrix, and it'd be just like caffeine, green tea, raspberry ketones, but they're all just listed in one big sort of matrix against, yeah. say, a thousand milligrams. But, you know, the way you re- read a proprietary blend was whatever was listed first was probably the most, um, the highest contained ingredient within the blend. So out of that thousand milligrams, 
400 of a cup of caffeine. And then as you get down through it, the more sort of exotic fat burn ingredients are becoming less and less and, you know, a sprinkle of this ingredient in to the point where you're sort of questioning, is it even in the product? Just cracked black pepper a couple of times over the top. (laughs) And I mean, that was, that was one of the things when I joined Supplement Eats as the formula was, I said to Lee, we're never, ever going to do any sort of proprietary blend. Mm-hmm. Even we released a greens powder, greens plus, and it was probably the first one in the market where it was fully disclosed. Absolutely every single green ingredient, there's like 37 ingredients in it, mm-hmm. was disclosed on the label of how much we put into it. And mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, a greens formula is a classic example of a proprietary blend. If you have a greens formula at home that you're taking, look at it, it's more than likely proprietary blend. And either spinach, chlorella, or spirulina are probably the main ingredients you're getting in your greens drink, and everything else afterwards is a little sprinkle. So that was important to me for transparency to, mm-hmm. to show people what you're taking is exactly what's on the label. And and that was a, a big thing that I wanted to change personally in the industry was that no company could release a proprietary blend unless it was for intellectual property reasons. You know, if you if you have this magic ratio of certain ingredients, then yeah, you want to protect that that magic ratio. But you know, a lot of formulations are based off science. So you dig deep enough, you'll start to see what are the optimal dosages for for in certain ingredients. So even then, a proprietary blend, in my mind doesn't serve any purpose anymore other than confusing the consumer and protecting profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned, let's go back to your sleep because there's yeah. two things that you said there. One, um, the fact that you managed to prep whilst doing that oh, sounds rough. And obviously um, sleep is such a huge part of recovery and also just as a, as a mindset point of view as well, you know, when, when you're struggling with sleep, you're waking up, you're already fatigued before you start your day. It's a nightmare, but I'm also aware that some people might not know what our circadian rhythm is. Yeah. So let's touch on that if we can, please. Yeah. So humans, human biology is thought of evolved based around the sort of solar and lunar cycles. So basically between day and night time. And so we have certain enzymes in our body that run off what are called clock genes. So that your base, your body's intelligent. It runs on a clock. So certain processes will run according to the clock of the day. So your body knows that it's morning time and then it knows that it's evening time. Mm-hmm. And the simplest example of this is your body has two hormones, cortisol and melatonin. Everyone probably knows cortisol is sort of the stress hormone. And melatonin is your sleep hormone. So your body runs off a 24-hour clock whereby in the morning time, your body makes cortisol to wake you up. So it's a stress hormone that wakes your body up, that fight or flight response. And then your body makes melatonin at night time to calm the system down, get your brain ready for sleep. So that's probably the most common way of explaining the circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. The other side would be your digestive system. Your digestive system operates pretty much on a circadian rhythm basis as well. Uh, 
you're eating food during the day, your digestive processes, like your production of digestive enzymes, your stomach transit, how food moves through your gut is all optimal during the day. And then when we rest at nighttime, those digestive processes slow down. So again, you, you would rarely wake up in the middle of the night to have to use the bathroom to poo because your digestive system, your whole body, the, the peristaltic movement, how the muscles in your intestine move, slows down at nighttime so that when you wake up in the morning time and you make that cortisol tweak you up, that gets everything moving again and you'd have your bowel movement upon week. So that's I, basically when you work night shift, you're going against this circadian rhythm. So some months, um, if you're doing like a, a rotational basis like me, where you're doing month, month to day shift and then a month to night shift, during a month to night shift, you're trying to go against the circadian biology that you're operating on during the daytime. So you're now trying to sleep during the day when your cortisol is hitting its peak in the morning time as you're trying to go asleep. You're trying to work through that melatonin secretion that's happening at night time. So, you know, 11 o'clock at night when you're working night shift, your body's biology is trying to make you fall asleep. So when you're working night shifts, you're, you're trying to override what your body's trying to make you do and do the opposite based off, say, a daytime biology. So, again, when you're working night shift, your digestive system is going to slow down. So up to a point of, say, maybe 12 or 1 in the morning, you can probably get away with eating. And then between, say, 1 and 6 in the morning, your your digestive system is going to slow down. So you have to be very mindful that if you're eating food during that time that it's it's food that's not going to have a huge impact to your, to your digestive system. So if you're eating very, you know, fat rich foods, your liver is not going to make enough lipase to break down those fats. Your digestive tract is in your intestine that is not operating as fast as it normally would. So it can leave you feeling quite full and sick and can cause an imbalance to how your body's storing um, fat molecules. So that can contribute potentially later on down the line to heart disease. So we start to see some of the health detriments that, people experience when they work night shift and the unfortunate side of it is that when you start a job that works night shift you're given you know a, an introductory lecture you could say from occupational health on okay so you're working night shift these are sort of your tips on what we'd advise you do and I remember like when I started to figure out all the stuff about properly sleeping optimizing your digestion for night shift etc that what you're being told when you start night shifts was probably contributing to disease later down the line because of half the stuff you're being told potentially were strategies that would cause carcinogenesis. So later on down the line, your sort of your biology is going to become a little dysfunctional and might end up with deficits in your health. So you start to, you know, have skewed lipid metabolism. So your cholesterol's all over the place your poor sleep. So again, your brain function, if you're not getting adequate REM sleep, you know, your sleep is almost like a detoxification process for your brain to clear out debris, form, you know, form new memories and consolidate that day's information. If your sleep isn't optimal with night shift, 
mm-hmm. you're potentially not how I sort of view it is recycling information out of the brain, recycling dead debris that potentially later on in your life, that debris will build up and potentially contribute to say something like Alzheimer's where we have that beta amyloid plaque not being cleared out of the brain effectively. Hmm. So you, you start to see that night shift, how it's taught as it stands could probably be more optimized. And I remember like saying to other engineers at the time, oh, this is what I do. And they're like, oh, that really makes, that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, I started telling them about the sleep stack and the ingredients I was using before even supplement needs existed. And they're like, oh, I'm going to give that a go. Mm-hmm. And even the other two engineers that tried it, <clears throat> again, they were like, this is crazy how this is working. Like you take, you take the six ingredients, you know, as you get in the door that morning, give yourself about half an hour to wind down after work by about half eight i was falling asleep no matter what you could try you know your your body's biology and the biochemistry of what you've given your body is sort of allowing what you sort of delayed during the night shift to catch up Mm. and like i said with even working night shift and prepping even when you're prepping and you're sort of only getting four hours five hours sleep because of the hunger because of all the other increased metabolic efficiency and stuff like that. I was still managing to, to sleep at least six solid hours, wake up feeling completely refreshed, ready to go do my afternoon cardio, you could say before work and be like completely set up to the next day where I wasn't really experiencing any sort of mental deficit or even energy deficit with mm-hmm. night shift. Yeah. I mean, I did a, but we're talking 10 years ago now though I did a a phase of night shift work and I did not manage that well at all like I can remember I mean I didn't even get a little lecture that you've just described there I had to learn from guys on the job and obviously those guys great guys but not experts in the field of circadian rhythm or um, you know any kind of science it was just what they've done and how they've managed. And I struggled, like I couldn't get a full, full six or eight hours sleep. It was four at most five, maybe if I was, if I was, you know, real tired. And then I was still, you know, I finished at six 30 in the morning, get back for about seven and then stay awake for a couple of hours just to wind down. Like most people would do after they get back from work. And then I'd just be awake by sometimes midday, so I think it's really interesting, actually, and I know a very broad question, but what few pieces of advice would you give people that are currently working night shifts against their own circadian rhythm? I think the, the main thing that, that changed for me was you have to set up strict boundaries between when you start night shift and when you finish night shift. And I mean, this is sort of your, your weekly rotation. So I was sort of lucky in that with shift we done four days on, three days off, or three days on, four days off. So let's say I was starting night shift on Wednesday night and I was working through to Saturday morning. So that was sort of, you know, my three days on, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. I'd fast from Tuesday evening, nine o'clock, whenever I had my last meal Tuesday, I would fast all the way through until I got to work Wednesday evening. So when I got to work Wednesday evening at say half six, 
to start work for seven, I'd eat my first meal then. So to me, that was the equivalent of eating at half six in the morning. I just moved it to half six at night. And because I didn't introduce any food. So again, food can signal to your circadian biology what time of the day it is. By delaying eating to that point of the day at half six at night, I was sort of giving my body a bit of an advantage to sort of offset digestion during the day. Again, what I try and do here is I'd go to bed at sort of my normal time Tuesday night. I'd sleep in for maybe an hour or two Wednesday morning. I'd get up. So sleeping in for me is probably like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'd get up at 10, do a couple of hours of odd bits and pieces to like maybe one in the afternoon. And then I'd go back asleep. And I'd sleep from one until five. So I try and get at least three to four hours sleep. So I'm, I'm aiming to get, if we break down sleep cycles into 90 minute cycles, I'm aiming to get at least two sleep cycles in during that sleep, if not three. So you've, you've fasted, you've caught up on some sleep before your night shift, and then you're eating when you begin your night shift. And that way, then you're sort of following your same eating pattern as a day shift by doing that. So half six would be meal one, say 10 o'clock meal two, one o'clock meal three, five o'clock meal four. And then when I get home, meal five and bedtime. Mm -hmm. So I'm avoiding again that sort of between half 12 and five o'clock in the morning when I know my digestive system slowing down. I'm avoiding putting a lot of food in at that time because anything that goes in is going to probably leave you feeling quite bloated because you're just not digesting it fast enough. Mm -hmm. The other side of it then is when you finish night shift. So when I'd finish Saturday morning, I'd get home and I'd strictly set an alarm. So I'd work out again, this whole sleep cycle. So knowing that a sleep cycle is 90 minutes, I'd calculate say four and a half hours from my bedtime. So I'm going to aim for three sleep cycles. So I go to bed, say half eight, and I'd set my alarm for 1 p.m. And as soon as that alarm goes off at 1 p.m., that's it, out of bed. Or the other side of it was when I woke up for the second time naturally, that's when I get up. So by waiting for that second time waking up naturally, I've sort of gone through at least two sleep cycles at that point. Mm -hmm. By doing that, you're allowing your body to become tired during that day so that you go to sleep at a proper time that night. So by only surviving, say, on three hours sleep that Saturday, by the time 9 p.m. came Saturday night, my body was fatigued. My circadian rhythm was, you know, pulling me asleep. And you then fall into that normal pattern of going to bed at, say, nine or ten at night on your days off. Mm -hmm. That's important when you have a family. Like, obviously, when I was single years ago, the sort of night shift, you could stay on night shift mode. It didn't really bother because, for one thing, then when it came to like a weekend on a Saturday and you're able to sleep in till six at night and then your friends are going out that night, you're never going to be you're always going to be the last man standing because everyone else is feeling tired and your, your biology is telling you six in the morning. It's yeah. six in the evening. But with a family, 
you know, you can't afford to sleep in. And so, you know, suddenly you had to rely on Saturday night going to bed at nine or ten. So that Sunday you were getting up the next morning at, say, half six, seven. Mm-hmm. So it was important that you caught up on sleep before you started shift. And then you, you, you know, you had a sleep debt the day when you finished night shift. But it all played a part then that your, your normal routine wouldn't suffer. Mm-hmm. So that you'd have when you when it's your days off, you weren't trying to catch up on sleep, and you weren't missing out on daytime activities. So that that's sort of like the the easiest way I can explain how you set yourself up for working night shift is how you set yourself up on the first day, and how you set yourself up for your days off when you finish. Hmm. That's the advice I wish I'd received ten years ago. <laughs> I, I remember. When I was when I was leaving my job, um, I I gave like I was a chemical engineer for Intel. I gave several new hires who had come in starting work and shift. You know all this advice from eight years of being a shift engineer, and um, they they were sort of looking at me crazy when I was explaining to them like that's not what we were told in the talk. I'm like no, but do what I do what I'm telling you, and you you will breathe night shift work. Honestly, I used to, my practice was completely different to that. I, uh, when I'd finish work at 6.37 uh, on my last day, I would just stay awake and I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was so terrible. Yeah, I'd just stay awake and uh, I'd get to like four o'clock in the afternoon and I'd be like, my head was like, f- not just dropping, it was almost falling off. And um yeah eating obviously then eating was way out of control because if your body can't sleep it needs energy and you know so on and so forth and i just literally and everything goes through and and i was just a terrible person to be around i'm not gonna lie the the mood swings the just the the sense of humor everything just disappeared i became a robot that was just very snappy at that time (laughs) (laughs) so I remember a, a, a girl that I was dating at the time, like she just only have to breathe. And I'd be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Literally, honestly, it was terrible. Um, okay. So let's talk. You mentioned there about sleep cycles and um, I, I, I don't think people will necessarily know what that is. So we're talking rapid eye movement, sleep cycles. I'd love to hear you talk in depth about that. Okay, um, so obviously when we when we fall asleep, your brain moves through different um, electromagnetic patterns. So you have an alpha brain state, a beta wave state, and a delta wave state. So your body basically goes through these different phases of alpha to beta to, to delta. So delta is when we're in our deepest sleep. And so... Your, your brain's activity moves from a sort of half asleep, half awake state into an asleep state and then into a further sort of deep sleep state where you're, you're experiencing dreams in your deep sleep as well as in that rapid eye movement. So we, we sort of class it as four, four stages mainly, awake, light sleep, deep sleep, I mean, you've gotten enough deep sleep, you move into rapid eye movement, which is REM sleep. And again, it all works off circadian biology. Your brain is designed to get itself as quickly 
down into the deep steep, deep sleep stages in the earlier part of the night. So that's between sort of like 8 and 1am 1, 1 is when your body's going to experience its greatest, deepest sleep. And again, that's got to do with the, the light and dark cycle. So obviously the darkest point of the night is between those two time periods. And then from there, once your body's sort of worked its way out of deep sleep, that um, probably the most physically restoring process of sleep is deep sleep because you're secreting growth hormone and other sex hormones that help recover the body. Your brain switches its focus then to your, your actual brain health. So during rapid eye movement, you're starting to consolidate memories from the day before you're trying to consolidate information you may have learned in the past. And that's sort of where your brain's trying to make sense of what reality is showing you the day before. Mm -hmm. It's also important because you have lymph that flows through your brain. So just like your body, you've got a lymph system that carries all your, your immune cells. You have a lymph system in your brain um, which is called microglial cells. And these lymph cells, these immune cells, clean away debris in our brain. So bits of dead cell, et cetera, that can, you know, that part of normal aging and daily processes is that some cells in your body are going to die and your body has to remove and break those down. So your body's doing that while you're, you're moving through this REM sleep. You're cleaning out all this debris to sort of freshen your brain, I guess, to make more space available for more memories etc to follow the, the following day so it's it's important that we get an adequate balance then between our deep sleep which is physically restoring and REM sleep which is mentally restoring and you'll often find you know when you wake in the morning time you might feel that you're not as physically refreshed if you're an athlete so you know certain aches niggles muscle recovery might not be as good on the mornings where you, you didn't get enough deep sleep the night before. And sort of similarly, the mornings where you wake up and your brain is a little groggy and mentally fatigued, you may not have progressed through enough REM sleep in order for your brain to feel mentally and physically refreshed. So with, with sort of the two of them, deep sleep and REM sleep, you can sort of incorporate small strategies to improve the two of them but it's heavily uh, genetically influenced. So one of the things that keeps you asleep are your adenosine receptors. So when adenosine builds up in the brain, it basically tells the brain, okay, it's time to sleep. And one of the reasons we think with sleep biology is that it's a process in order for our brain to clear out adenosine. And in doing so, it's doing that sort of cleanup phase using adenosine as the marker to track and that's why caffeine keeps you awake because it acts as an adenosine antagonist so it blocks adenosine from docking in your brain so your brain thinks that it's time to stay awake so that's why it promotes wakefulness mm -hmm. so we can sort of do small strategies to improve say the quality of our sleep because if you have if you have issues with your adenosine genetically you're probably going to be predisposed to being a light sleeper. And that means any noise in the background, any sort of change in environment will wake you out of your sleep. And I know this personally because when I 
looked at my genetics years ago, it shows that I have um, a predisposition for um, my adenosine expression to be quite low. So it means that when I'm asleep, if someone makes a noise, I'll instantly wake up. So if you're a very light sleeper, it means then your body's never going to get the, I guess, the signal to progress down through um, the sleep cycles effectively down into sleep, deep sleep. Because again, when we reach deep sleep, you're in that sort of deepest subconscious level of sleep where you're pretty oblivious to what's going on in the environment. So your, your sort of receptivity to sound and movement in your environment is a lot a lot lower than, say, light sleep. So mm. your brain sort of has to, it's, it's funny, your brain has to sort of trust the environment in order to allow itself to go down into that deep sleep stage. Mm-hmm. And if, if it deems that the environment is unsafe, it won't allow you to progress down into that deep, deep stage of sleep. So mm-hmm. that's why you can sort of trick your, your biology a little bit with, say, white noise um silicon earplugs uh completely blacked out room you know uh, keeping your temperature the environment as stable as possible all these sort of little strategies are to make sure that your body feels as safe as possible in order to go down into those deep stages of sleep um same with REM sleep a lot of people look at their sort of fitness trackers and see that their REM sleep is on the, the low side and they're, they're like racking their head. How can I improve my REM sleep? Because, you know, something must be wrong because my Fitbit or Aura Ring is telling me I only got like 15 or 20 minutes of REM sleep last night. And it's sort of saying that your body's trying to prioritize deep sleep first. And then after that, depending on, information from the day before new memories new skills it'll completely depend on on how much time your body needs to spend in REM sleep in order for you to consolidate that information or that creativity so it's it's fascinating it's fascinating when you look at the biology of sleep and how the the brain has evolved to uh to force us to sleep in order to uh in order to have longevity, I guess, I always laugh at people who, who say like, that's what an entrepreneurial mindset of, you know, I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead or only operating on a couple of hours sleep when really, to be honest, that's a really foolish way of looking at biology because mm-hmm. quite a lot of disease states stem from lack of sleep. So if anything, sleep should be a priority. If you're only going to choose to sleep, uh, the way I view it is, your sleep quality is probably more important than your sleep quantity. So again, if you're if you're spending seven hours in bed, but you're only sleeping for five, you have effectively wasted two hours being asleep because you're really only sleeping for five. So the quality of your sleep really matters when you get to sort of, if you're only going to sleep for five or six hours a night, if that's what your body genetically likes, you want to ensure that that sleep quality is sufficient. So again, adequate amounts of deep and REM sleep during that short sleep period. Mm-hmm. So anyone here who sort of is listening and has this mindset of, you know, sleep being a, a detriment to their daily life. It's really not when you view things in a, the long picture that you want to ensure that when you do sleep, you're getting as much quality out of that sleep period as possible. So that the following day's activities 
and even swear that the, the future week's activities aren't knocked on by that lack of sleep. Mm. I have a question, actually. This um, purely personal, not for the, well, it is yeah. for the podcast, but just out of a, a personal interest, really. It's, um, I, and I, I haven't looked into it, which I, I definitely will do after this, but uh, the other day I decided last minute that I was going to get up early and I was going to drive, go for a hike, uh, for a sunrise hike. And it was definitely not within my normal sleep pattern. And it, and it happens at other times. Why is it that sometimes when we, we need to wake up for something special or we're excited to wake up for something, that we'll wake up before our alarm or, you know, five minutes before we need to get up? How does that happen? So it's not something that I really understand personally, but I would advise what you've sort of said there is if you've got an event like that um, where you're you're required to get up at a different time outside your your normal biology, what you should sort of aim to look at is your body runs in those 90 minute sleep cycles. So if this pre-planned event has you getting up at an, an earlier time than normal, what you should do is plan it within the end of your sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are shocked when they start counting this back. They're like, oh, wow, that's why I wake up at X time. So let's sort of break down even a 10 o'clock bedtime. You spend seven and a half hours in bed. So half five is your wake up time. You can break that down into 90 minute sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all great information that was originally put out by um, Nick Littlehales, which is like the sleep coach. He has some fantastic stuff. But this even makes sense. And you can try it personally. Your sort of sleep cycles then on a circadian pattern will be based around 90 minutes. So 10 o'clock is your bedtime. Half 11 is the first sleep cycle. One o'clock, you know, half three. Um, sorry, half one, three, half five, half four, five. So you can you can sort of go through these 90 minute sleep cycles of when you're when you're effectively going to wake up. Mm-hmm. So you can start planning in. And if you go to bed at 10 o'clock and you've got an early event, then if half five, say, is that last sleep cycle, the next sort of ended sleep cycle is four o'clock. Mm-hmm. And if you go back again an hour and a half from that, you know, you're getting to half two. So you can start to see where your where your body runs off this sort of circadian clock. And, and I got caught out with this recently. We we took a trip to Birmingham with the, the two boys and we had to get up. At, we had to leave the house by four o'clock. So I'd set my alarm for for half three thinking, you know, went to bed at 10, half three. And may or may not get to that sort of four o'clock, mm-hmm. which would be sort of around the edge of my my normal sleep cycle and sure enough half two came when I woke up and and when I woke up I I knew okay that's it if I go to sleep now I'm in the danger zone that I'm going to be halfway between sleep cycles that when the alarm goes off at half three I'm going to wake up extremely groggy yeah so I had to accept half two when I got up when I woke up at half two that's it I'm up now forget about the air in bed I, I just lied in bed for half an hour, keep myself awake, but sort of just resting. 
mm-hmm. but not allow myself to go back to sleep. Because if you do that, then you're sort of following into what we call sleep inertia, where you're you're heading into deep sleep during that, that sort of 45 minute mark of the sleep cycle and then the alarm goes off. And that's why often people who set alarms that aren't planned off their, their sleep cycles will their alarm will go off and they go, what the hell was that? And you, you wake up all confused and, you know, as if someone's like completely smacked you out of your sleep. Yeah. And then oftentimes you wake up and you're extremely groggy and you want to go back to sleep again because you've basically broken that sleep cycle where, where you're just about to enter into that, that deep phase where your brain is starting to process and move into that delta wave brain state. Mm-hmm. So when you're sort of doing events like that, where you're waking up really early, plan out 90 minute markers of you know where's the most appropriate time for me to wake up the next morning based off your target time for waking up <laughs> and and probably i probably should have set my alarm for maybe half two that time rather than half three and, and just accepted accepted that you know i have to get up a half two but i thought maybe i might I might get to maybe quarter to four. The car is fully packed up, you know, just wake up, throw my clothes and out the door we go. But um, sometimes your biology says otherwise and you have to, you have to accept. And, and that's why, you know, especially even for physique competitors, if you're, if you're suffering with say insomnia as prep goes on and you, you're waking up every day at four o'clock in the morning and you can't get back asleep or when you do get back asleep, your alarm's going off then say for work and you're waking up extremely tired. You're, you're probably better off getting up at four based on what your circadian biology is telling you and then making up for that, that sort of sleep cycle you're missing with a nap either, you know, late, late afternoon or during your lunch break where you're, where you're catching up on your sleep as opposed to forcing yourself back to sleep and leaving yourself, um, I guess, not starting your day off in the right. So if you're waking up very groggy, you're not you're not really going to operate to them to the best of your mental capacity at the very start of your day because your brain's still trying to pull you back asleep because you've you've interrupted that brain state of what your body was trying to do with, with your alarm. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned that actually. I've I've never really had any troubles with sleep until the last month or so. Um, so I have had to introduce like a nap to try and keep it keep up and catch up but I really struggle with a nap like I, I I think it's the timing of it I don't know whether I I mean I basically just sleep like I don't nap like I'm, I'm a very deep sleeper naturally so when I try to have a little power nap you know whether it's that 90 minute window that 20 minutes whatever I can get when I wake up I am definitely not at the end of a sleep cycle because when I wake up I wake up right in the middle of deep sleep. I can tell because even without an alarm, I don't know how it happens, but I'm confused. I don't know what day it is, what year it is, what my name is, who I am. Like I, and, and because of that, I've just given up on the whole nap thing. So what would your, how can you improve that process? I think, I think when it comes to naps, the, the main thing you have to be with a nap again is strict you either you're either going to settle in on a, a 20 minute power nap where you don't allow yourself to go asleep. So you, you basically stay in like an alpha brain state where you're almost daydreaming with your eyes closed. And that can be enough to to help 
mentally refresh your brain away from sort of the mental tasks you're doing while awake. And that's sort of where a power nap, you know, a 20 minute power nap might only buy you about an hour and a half, two hours of wakefulness. And that's where people might couple it with, say, an adenosine antagonist like caffeine. So you, you take your caffeine. Caffeine takes about an hour to 90 minutes to get into your system. Mm-hmm. So you'd sort of take your caffeine, in this case, maybe a cup of coffee, drink your cup of coffee, wait a few minutes, you know, maybe 20 minutes, go lie down. And by the time you sort of get to the end of that strict 20 minute nap, the caffeine's in your system. So that when you open your eyes from that sort of alpha brain wave daydream and stay, the caffeine's kicking in as a stimulant to then get you sort of through for maybe a two or three hour window of wakefulness. And that, that can be useful for people who are on night shift that you time this sort of 20 minute nap in the middle of the night, say half one on your lunch break, where you, you drink a cup of coffee one o'clock in the morning, half one, you know, after having your lunch, lie down for 20 minutes, set an alarm on your phone to go off. As soon as that alarm goes off, eyes open, go about your task. Don't even think about it. And most of the time, that's enough to get you from, say, two o'clock to the, to the end of the shift at half five, six. As for like daytime napping, you're you're probably, you know, 90 minutes is probably your sort of your sleep cycles vary anywhere from maybe 70 up to two hours, 70 minutes to two hours. So your sort of deep sleep cycle might be just beyond 90 minutes that when you're planning a proper sleep cycle nap, you might have to give yourself two hours whereby you're allowing your body to come out of that deep sleep phase so that when the alarm goes off at say the two hour mark you've passed through that sleep cycle into the light phase of sleep that you're not waking up groggy and your body's gone through that fully restorative brain process Mm. and it could be that it could be just that your sleep your sleep cycles are a little bit longer than that 90 minute that hour and a half window that most people's are that you're just i guess when, when the alarm's going off you're just hitting that point of deep sleep where if you give yourself another half an hour or 20 minutes, you might pass out of that deep sleep stage. And when the alarm goes off, then you're going to get the benefit of the, the nap. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll give that a go, but I've just, I've tried it for years at different times. I've like, you know, when, especially with prep, prep was a nightmare. You know, I needed, like I was just suffering by, by early evening, late afternoon. Like I was a walking zombie uh, I tried it a few times then, same sort of principle. It was just whether I had a 20 minute or I, I, I don't, I think it's just the timing. Like you say, I don't know whether I've figured out my exact um, sleep cycle duration. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely would wake up and it was just, I'd be more tired and be like, well, that was even, that was a complete waste of time. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit now about, so I've seen that, over the last few months, you've been putting together an education portal with supplement needs. Yeah. And I'd like to know what areas you're going to be covering and the detail and and, and level of um, education, essentially, that people are going to get from that experience. So supplement needs education, SN education, um, stemmed from an idea that me and Lee had to have a open resource to just um, 
I guess, educate people on the supplement needs products mm-hmm. um, to have a, a free resource where there was, you know, um, infographics, videos where I discuss in detail what all the different products do. So, you know, there's like a 10 minute video on sleep stack. There's a 10 minute video on CV heart stack. And it all just started as an idea there to just educate the consumer on even, you know, snippet videos on what is whey protein? What's a proprietary blend? It, it was supposed to be a really basic insight to the supplement industry for our consumers. And then the idea stemmed to why not branch out and actually start offering um, almost like uh, continued professional education or continued professional development like CPD. No one was sort of offering this in-depth level of education other than maybe third level qualifications for say PTs. And even then um, the the content that was being delivered was probably not even to a high professional standard. So I started to put together a, a team with Lee on what I consider, you know, we've got eight people who are in my, my, in my mind, experts in all of their fields. So I brought um, Stephen Casty came along and he's a, a nutritionist and prep coach from Scotland mm-hmm. And he started to basically we co-founded the site with Stephen Mealy and Stephen co-founded it. And we put our heads together on who could we choose that would represent sort of the areas within the, within the site that we felt would be best for educating, say, personal trainers, but also clients. Mm-hmm. And one of like the main ethos behind SN Education was I don't want anyone to be afraid of asking any question. Whereas it's to someone like me or whether it's to say a coach, mm. a, a client, a personal training client should be able to turn around to their coach and say, well, why are you prescribing X, Y, and Z? Or why are you telling me to do this if they don't feel comfortable about it and be able to receive, you know, a very in-depth professional response. So Essence education came about that we'd cover areas from nutrition, training, rehab, performance enhancing drugs, um, mindset and the, the coaching process and a, a specialized female education health area. Mm-hmm. And I basically chose who I felt, who I knew would be good representations. So we have Stephen who's a, uh, a nutrition, <clears throat> he's done his um, qualifications through Mac Nutrition, etc. I have Danielle Casely, who's a registered dietitian and specializes in female hormone health. Um, Danielle's husband, Aaron Casely, that everyone knows probably as Mofo Mechanic on Instagram, who was originally a um, professor for rehab and physiotherapy. Um, I have Simon Hook, who's a, a chiropractor and also a, a physique education coach. So he he treats the likes of James Hollingshead, etc. In terms of chiropractic, um, Louis Blackmore, who's um a very good online coach who specializes in stuff like Stoic philosophy and getting clients to understand the mindset of change and habit formation. Mm-hmm. 
And then I have Olivia Orchowski, who's a a female coach um, who's doing qualifications in naturopathic health, who delivers a lot of the female health content um, to effectively get females to understand, you know, training considerations, say when they're pregnant or postpartum. Mm-hmm. A level of education that I feel is missing that a lot of education portals online tend to really focus around performance enhancing drugs. And while that's a great pull point, and I see this personally with SN Education, it's also important that we're delivering um, other aspects of education that, you know, it's not just about PDs, that people understand, you know, what's the correct way to set themselves up for a squat or a deadlift? You know, we've got all that information underneath the, the training mm-hmm. from a biomechanics perspective, say from Aaron or from Simon, what are some of the common rehab or prehab conditions that they see? Uh, really what I want SN Education to be is a, a portal whereby if you're a member, any question you have surrounding your health, lifestyle, longevity is answered mm-hmm. and answered in a way that is backed up with, with references, so scientific references, so that we're, we're not just telling someone to do something because we said so. It's because here's the evidence that shows what our viewpoint is around. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, I, I want people to be able to question, even in the realm of PEDs that, you know, have people discussing, we've got a very interactive forum that's broken down into all these sections that they can ask questions. You know, we, we have even a closed female forum section whereby you have to be granted access. So really, even from like a political correctness point of view, having a female only form might be, you know, frowned upon, but I want a community within SN education for female members to have a closed form where there's no male influence that if someone wants to discuss, you know, quite sensitive topics like amenorrhea or um, training considerations if they're pregnant or what supplements can I take, or I've taken X, Y, and Z PED, you mm-hmm. know, I need help mm-hmm. that they get that. Um, I guess, unbiased or non-judgmental comment back from say Danielle or Olivia with the science of you know you know what you've done there isn't exactly correct and because x y and z Mm -hmm. and try and encourage you know even females to question some of the practices that you know like you said we've seen a lot of people die in the last year both males and females Mm -hmm. some of it to an extent is ignorance so they're choosing to ignore some of the, the detriments of what bodybuilding and fitness can bring. But there is a level of naivety that people are just listening to what they're being told. And again, that, that comes back to if they knew better, if they have access to that education that tells them, you know, this is wrong because, and this is probably a better way to do because you're, you're upskilling that client to, like I said, question practices. And change will only come about in this industry by people questioning, questioning mm. coaches, question other educators, basically trying to understand why are you saying what you're saying to do? Because this resource here has shown quite concisely why that opinion is wrong. Mm-hmm. 
so it, it's we're now seven months in since launch and you know we've we've almost 200 members active members on on the the forum and the website that it has been a slow process obviously each day new people are joining but it hasn't taken off as fast as you'd imagine Mm -hmm. but those who have joined have have remained because they're seeing the level of detail that's going into the explanation on questions that they have they see the level of detail that's going into the videos and almost most of the videos on the site are delivered in a like a loom online lecture presentation format that it's not just someone impersonally like me sitting in front of this camera now and just chatting away arbitrarily and actually showing you with you know powerpoint slides this is the data here's the source you know you can go do your own research now that it is almost like a professional qualification that's Without going down that route, this is what I sort of want as an open access education platform for anyone to join, mm. have a question to upskill themselves, even say on female health, that there's a, a library of like 50 professionally delivered lectures mm. on female health. Yeah, I think it's so needed in the industry because like you say, bodybuilding, fitness, it's kind of a like a godfather sort of guru sort of realm where we just, you know, because that's what people have done for so long, that's what, that's how it should be. And looking at the science and having that moment to take a step back and go, well, actually, is it the best way? Could we be doing things in a more healthy, sustainable manner? Or could we be doing it in a um, more productive manner? You know, and I think that having people such as yourself and the education platform is such a huge thing. And it's so needed, especially you know, with what we've been exposed to over the last 12 months, like you said, like people are experiencing the negative side effects of said behavior. Um, so I've, I'm, I, I'm so glad that you came on, mate. I'm, I've been really looking forward to this. Uh, I also realized that we didn't get a chance to touch on gut health. So if, if you would be so kind, I'd love for you to come back on and we'll, we'll talk about gut health because that's such another important segment of, of what you do and, and what we need to know is as people that just train in the gym and, and being healthier individuals, but thank you so much for your time and coming on and, and sharing your knowledge with everyone. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure, Dan. Really appreciate it. No, thank you very much for coming on.